All right, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, and as you do that, let's just take a moment and be still before the Lord, invite Him to speak to us today. We need to hear from Him. Gracious Father, it's good to hear the turning of pages, uh, to be reminded that we're gathered here today from here, to hear from You. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would hear from You today. Lord, I pray that You would help me to be faithful to what Your Word says. Lord, I pray that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to be transformed by your word. Uh, Lord, you are ever making us more and more into the likeness of your son. And we just confess today that none of us has arrived. Lord, there are people here today who perhaps don't even know you, haven't given them a thought to the praise that you're due. You fashioned them together in their mother's womb. You have been so gracious. You caused the sun to rise on them every day and the sun to set and the rain to grow, the food that they eat. You caused their lungs to function, their heart to beat, their brain to understand, and yet they've never thought to give you any praise. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them today and help them to see how awesome you are and how amazing it is for us to live in relationship with the God who made us. Lord, still others are here today and they're new in their walk and they are so mindful of sin in every corner of their life. Everywhere they look, there's things that don't look like Jesus, and they feel overwhelmed, and they feel condemned, and they need to hear from you today. And still, Lord, there are others who've been walking with you for years and years, and perhaps, Lord, they've come to a point where they're failing to see things in their life that don't resemble Christ. They've fallen into such a a rut, perhaps such complacency, that they feel like growing is is a young man's game. And uh, they think that their time for growth is done. And Lord, we know that that's not true. For as long as we live, Lord, we're being changed. So God, I pray that you'd speak today. Lord, that's our request. That by the power of your Spirit, your Word would go forth. And Lord, that as it goes forth, it would not return void. But that you would do the work that you have set to do today. So Lord, we pray all of these things. We ask for them in faith, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I hope at this point you're, you're turning your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, you know, we are coming to the end of this series, and when we set apart in this series, I selected this letter because I knew we were launching in our first year here at Redeemer, and I thought there's some things here that are going to be helpful for us as we shape ministry moving forward and as we seek to be faithful. Uh, what I didn't anticipate was the year that we've had in North America. This has been the grossest year that I can ever remember in my lifetime as a Christian. The scandals, the fallout, the leaders, the movements, the just devastation that we've seen has been unlike anything that I've ever experienced in my Christian life. And I'm 32, so perhaps you've lived through something like this before me, but it has been shocking. And I confess that a few weeks ago when the news came out about the Southern Baptist Convention, it felt like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just felt so depleted. And I wept. And I, and I just found myself indulging some really hopeless thoughts. I found myself wondering, Lord, what do we, how do we stop this? It's not even like you can isolate it to a movement. Oh, it's these guys. Well, it's, it's the Baptists, but it's the Anabaptists too. And it's the complementarians. Oh, and it's the egalitarians. And it, it's, it's the new movements. But it's also the well-established works. It's everywhere. And I found myself thinking, is it just a matter of time before a scandal brings us down? 
before vulnerable people are, are taken advantage of here in this place? Lord, is there anything that we can do to hold back this onslaught of evil in the church? And I found myself overcome with grief. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, if you've watched The Lord of the Rings or read The Lord of the Rings, but in the third movie, there's this scene where Denethor, he's a steward of Gondor, he thinks himself to be the king, and uh, the city's becoming overrun. And so Denethor is weeping and he's, he's shouting out, flee for your lives, flee for your lives. And then suddenly a staff smacks him right in the forehead. And then Gandalf is there. And Gandalf says, hold your positions. Well, when I watch that movie, I like to see myself as Gandalf, you know, and I think, well, I'd, that's who I would be. And you know where I'm going with this already. Tuesday morning, as I sat down to study the text, I thought, Jesus is like Gandalf and the word of God is like the staff and I'm Denethor. The coward. Timothy here is living in a city that is overrun with wicked leaders. And the witness of the church has been all but ruined. And he's got this mission to try and continue on in faithfulness in spite of all of this. And sometimes, you know, we can think of Timothy like some kind of robot or just some character in a story. But he was a real young leader. And I imagine there were times when he felt overwhelmed. And the Apostle Paul, in the passage right before what we're looking at today... In verses 4, 3 to 10, he's been talking about these wicked leaders. He's been taking Timothy's head and pressing his nose into the mess and saying, see this, Timothy. See what they're doing and see what motivates them and see how awful this is. See how it affects the witness of the church. See it, Timothy. But notice Paul's next step is not to say, oh, let's just, let's just throw in the towel. What can be done? No, then he turns to Timothy and he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. As for you, O man of God, here's how we're going to live. Here's how we're going to do leadership in the church. And I felt strongly convicted and emboldened and encouraged. It's not a coincidence that we're in this letter in a season like this. It's not a coincidence that we're here rooted in these texts as we're watching scandal after scandal. No, we need to hear this. And perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, actually, it sounds like you need to hear this. It sounds like the elder team needs to hear this. But do we need to hear this? Let me lean in. You need to hear this. Because behind every fallen leader, there is a church that allowed themselves to be led. There's a church that watched as their their charismatic leader was, was drawing about this cult of personality around themselves and allowed themselves to be pulled in. A congregation that watched as their leader played loose and fast with the text and allowed themselves to sit under that teaching. A congregation that thought, man, this doesn't quite seem right, but who is to know how the household of God is to operate? Listen, you do. You do. In chapter 3 of this letter, the Apostle Paul writes, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So you know. You know how it should be. Which means you need to steward this truth well. And you need to keep an eye on people like me. And people like our elders. Not in in a suspicious way, but in a discerning way. Like the Bereans that we see in Acts. As we preach, as we lead, you have the text open and, and you need to watch and say, yep, yep, that's true. And as we move away from the text, we lose authority. Our only authority is insofar as we point at the text and say, here is the Word of the Lord. When we close that and we say, here's my opinion... No authority. Hear that. Hold us to that. Steward that well, church. And here we're coming to the close of this letter. 
And the Apostle Paul is leaning into young Timothy and he's going to talk to him about leadership. Now, the principles and the lessons that we're going to learn here apply to all godly leaders. So if you're here today and you're you're a leader in your home, or perhaps you're a leader in your circle of friends, or you're a mentor, these leadership lessons will certainly apply to you, and yet nevertheless, they're spoken to a young leader in the church. And so that's how we're going to listen to them and filter through them today. Look with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. And here now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in His testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can hear the Apostle Paul. He's coming to the close of the letter and he is excited and he is passionate because this matters. And here we find Paul's closing counsel to a godly leader. These instructions are for Timothy specifically, but as they said, they ring true for every leader in every church over all time. If you would lead in the household of God, then you must first, Paul says, flee from sin and speculation. But as for you, O man of God, he says, flee these things. Now anytime you see the word but, it reminds you that you need to look back. But as for you, means that he's contrasting what he's about to say with what he has already said. So if I could remind you, what he has just finished saying is he's, he's been pointing at these sinful fallen leaders in Ephesus. And he's causing Timothy to lean in and see their way of life. These men only led in the church because they wanted a paycheck, Timothy. These men gave their time to studying novelty and myths and and speculation and foolishness. These men fought over little trivial details because they're full of pride and arrogance, Timothy, and they don't care about the church. Earlier in the letter, he said, these men are guilty of sexual sin and they're taking advantage of women in the city, Timothy. See them. And then he turns and he says, and flee these things. Not so with you, O man of God. And this is how he concludes the letter. So if you look ahead a few verses, Timothy says, oh, Timoth- or Paul says, O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid, get away from the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved away from the faith. Paul says, get away from it. Listen. You don't put precious things in dangerous situations, right? You don't put them in harm's way. If you have an antique collection, you don't store it in a batting cage. You love your kids, right? And you got them a basketball net. You don't set that basketball net up on the busy highway, right? You don't put precious things in harm's way. Why then would you put your precious mind 
in a place where you're going to hear nonsense thrown at you. Put your mind in front of teachers, in front of, in front of books, in front of novelty and nonsense. Why would you put your precious eyes in front of something that is designed to induce lust in you? Why would you put your precious congregation before a leader who indulges in all of that foolishness and sin? You don't put precious things in harm's way, Timothy. Flee these things. Don't play with it. Don't flirt with temptation. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you, Timothy, are the exception to the rule. Do you want to be a strong, faithful man of God, Timothy? Then you, you need to learn the leadership skill of running away. It's a leadership skill that we don't often talk about. Seems a bit counterintuitive to being a leader. You need to learn the leadership skill of running away. You need to be like Joseph, who ran away from Potiphar's wife even as she held his garment in her hand. You need to be like Lot, who fled from Sodom and Gomorrah and didn't look back to the sin he was leaving behind. Because here's a lesson that's been painfully demonstrated in Ephesus for Timothy and in our modern day. The lesson is this. Sin is a lot stronger than you think it is. It's like we never graduated out of our naive youth group days. No offense, youth. But when you're in youth, man, what's the question you ask? How far can I go? How close to the line can I get before I've come too close? That's the youth group question. Every youth leader is preparing to answer that question. But of course, the youth group leader is planning to answer that question with with regard to dating relationships. But in the same way, adults, people who should be mature in the faith, are asking the same question. But we're asking about money. How far can I go in my my all-consuming pursuit of wealth and pleasure and comfort before I've gone too far? Before I'm the one that Jesus is talking about who's storing up treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. How close can I get to that before I've gone too far? Or, or we talk about how, how far can I go in this relationship at work that I don't think is really an inappropriate relationship, but I just really, really enjoy her company and she gets me. But how far is too far? Or, or how far can I go with those television shows that I, that I love and they're not really that bad and it's just a scene, just every other episode or so, I close my eyes. How far is too far? And, and Paul is saying to Timothy, flee these things. Sin is stronger than you think it is, Timothy. If you love this church and you would seek to be a leader in the household of God, get away from all of this. Brothers and sisters, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes, you've been given a new heart. There there is strength in us, right? Yes, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you if you're a Christian. Yes, you are united with Christ and through Him you now have the power to obey. Yes, yes, and yes, amen, yes. But if that knowledge and that reality convinces you then to, to position yourself and your family and your congregation in front of the oncoming train of sin, then you have taken that knowledge and you have abused that knowledge. Don't do that. Flee these things, man of God. But, as we turn to the second lesson, but as you flee these things, don't run for the hills. Running away from sin is only half the battle. What now will you run towards, O man of God? See, holiness begins with a directional decision. And that brings us to Paul's second lesson. So he says, flee from these things, and then he says, pursue the right things. Look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, 
Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Now this isn't a comprehensive list. The Apostle Paul will often do this. He'll just begin, he's, he, what is he telling Timothy? He's saying you pursue that which is good, that which is right. Things like righteousness, Timothy. Pursue that with all your might, young leader. Make it your ambition to always do what is right. To be above reproach when people are watching you, when people don't see you. When there's accountability in place, or when you're outside of accountability, in every circumstance, Timothy, do what's right. Make it your ambition. When you're faced with obstacles and hurdles, and there's an easy way that's not so good, and then there's a hard way, but it's the right way, do the hard thing, Timothy, every time. Pursue that. And pursue godliness. Timothy, make it your ambition to to look more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Because there's going to be a part of you that's that's going to want to pursue worldliness. It's true. You're going to look out over people that you want to lead. You're going to look out over your city and there's going to be a loud voice in your head that says, man, if maybe if I looked more like them, I could reach them. Maybe if I, if I looked more like my culture, maybe if, I, maybe if I shaped myself and I shaped my message to resemble the world, maybe that would be effective. And Paul says, no, you know what? We have 101 leaders who look just like the world. You need to pursue godliness. You need to resemble Christ, Timothy. Lead like that. Pursue faith, Timothy. What better place to run as you're running away from sin? Flee from sin and come in faith and behold the cross of Christ. Timothy. I love what one commentator says here. He says, the cross is a window opened into the very heart of God. Do you know what the church needs in Ephesus, in Aurelia, every church over the history of all time in every place? The church needs leaders who are daily bowing before the cross. Seeing their need and praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Be that man, Timothy, he says. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Only a loveless heart could understand ministry as a means to financial gain. Only a loveless heart could exploit these people made in the image of God in order to further his own selfish desires. Only a loveless heart could use his teaching time to give people His opinion rather than God's Word. Pursue the love of God in Jesus Christ and pursue it every day, Timothy. Let it saturate your heart, Timothy. An empty vessel will never overflow. And your job is to overflow. The great Puritan George Mueller famously said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Pursue that, Timothy. Pursue steadfastness. See, an immature leader is tossed to and fro with each passing wave. He fluctuates, but you must be better, Timothy. Here's the thing, you're going to have bad days. And you're going to have good days, praise God. And yet every day, you're called to be a leader. So plant your feet and fix your gaze, and chart the course, and put one foot in front of the next. In a world full of volatility, be steady. Pursue steadfastness. That's what it means to lead in the household of God. 
pursue gentleness. One commentator notes of gentleness that it contains the ideas of consideration for others and a willingness to waive an undoubted right, which is very fitting in light of what Timothy was seeing in Ephesus and what we're seeing in our day. Do you want to be different from the leaders that fell before you? Then learn the art of putting others first. That's the example that Jesus set for us. When they're slow to learn, be patient. Then teach them again. When they return to the same sin, restore them again. And don't lose your temper and don't throw a tantrum. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. The idle, the faint-hearted, the weak. Give them patience. Be gentle. That's what leadership looks like in the household of God. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Flee from sin. Pursue these things, young Timothy. Now where do we pursue these things? With the help of the Holy Spirit. As we look to the Word of God. So if you're going to lead in the household of God, then you need to prayerfully position yourself before the Word. You need to be shaped by it. You need to immerse yourself in it. Because it is there that you will see Christ. And it is there where you will be made into the image of Christ. So open your Bible each morning and pray and ask that the Spirit of God would change you. This is needed for all Christians everywhere. But it's particularly needed for those who would lead in the church. So, if I could for a moment, elders here at Redeemer, let's hear this. If we are not actively positioning ourselves to be led by the Spirit through the Word of God, then we are being negligent and we're putting people in danger. A godly leader flees from sin and speculation and he pursues righteousness and godliness. When you run in the right direction, you save both yourself and your hearers. That's what Paul is saying. Third, Paul instructs Timothy to fight the good fight. So look at verse 12 where we see this. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Which is curious when you think about it because he literally just finished calling Timothy to be gentle. So, can you be gentle while fighting? According to the Apostle Paul, you can and you must. He uses similar language in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he calls Timothy to wage the good warfare. So Paul is not afraid of using this language that invokes the idea of a a battle. This is common language. We we find this language in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a battle. It's a fight. And that's, that's not an insignificant detail. Let's camp there for a second. In a few short weeks, we're going to be appointing two new elders here at Redeemer. What are you appointing them for? Before you vote for them, let's just make sure we know what we're signing them up for. You're not signing up some folks who are going to find a way to balance the budget. You're not appointing folks who are going to sit in on committee meetings. You are appointing men who are going to fight a spiritual fight on behalf of this congregation for our purity, for our fidelity, for our families. That's what you're signing them up for, and you ought to know that. Let's be sure we're clear on who we're fighting. You know, some churches have appointed men who thought that it was their job to fight the politicians. And we've seen that play out over the last few years. Some have appointed leaders who thought it was their job to fight the culture, and we've seen how that has played out over the last few years. Some have appointed leaders who thought it was their job to fight all the people and make them all stuffy and so bad. No. 
It's a spiritual fight. That's the good fight. That's what Paul describes in Ephesians 6. You can flip there in your Bible. Just flip back just a few pages. You're going to find Ephesians chapter 6. This is where Paul concludes his letter to the same church that Timothy is now leading in. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hear that. That's not the fight. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And he's not talking about the rulers of the city. This is a spiritual term. The spiritual rulers. The authorities. Again, spiritual authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the fight. He goes on to say, therefore, you put on your armor, your spiritual armor, as you go into this world. We used to sing about these things in church. We need to sing about them again. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Did you know this world is filled with devils and would threaten to undo us? If you're a leader in the church, you must know these things. When our elders gather together on Monday nights, there's no secret what we do. You can ask us what we do. Almost every Monday night meeting is just a prayer meeting. And we're going through and we're praying by name for every single member of this church. And we're praying for every single one of your children. And we're praying that God would protect you. That He would protect your marriage. That He would protect your home. That He would protect you as you go out into the world to be salt and light. Because we understand that there is a spiritual enemy that wants to assault the faith of your family. And so we're praying. We're trying to stand in the gap and just lift you up and and pray, God, would you do what we can't do, what they can't even do? That's that's all. That's what we're doing. We're just sitting there and trying to wage spiritual warfare, warfare on behalf of our church. Do you know that there's a spiritual enemy that is looking for a way to bring down the family, your your faith in your family? Are you mindful of this? You must be. I fear that too many Christians today take this threat lightly. The Puritan Thomas Brooks would have us pay attention. He warns, I'm going to read a long quote here. Beloved, Satan, being fallen from light to darkness, from felicity to misery, from heaven to hell, from angel to devil, is so full of malice and envy that he will leave no means unattempted whereby he may make all others eternally miserable with himself. Pause there. He'll leave no means unattempted. Be on guard, brothers and sisters. And as I can tell you, as, as one of the ones who sits at that table and prays for this congregation, we see the assault. Sometimes it's obvious. Oh, here's addiction. We're praying against this. Oh, here's sexual sin. We're praying for this. But a lot of the times it's subtle. Here, here's, a, here's a love of money that's choking out the faith. You know, here's a litany of really good things that are, that are choking out the faith in this family. He'll leave no means unattempted, whereby he may make all others eternally miserable with himself. He being shut out of heaven, shut up under the chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day, Jude 6, makes use of all his power and skill to bring all the sons of men into the same condition and condemnation with himself. See, the enemy of the Ephesian church wasn't simply a bad group of leaders or a lack of good church polity or a doctrinal curiosity 
Now, the enemy of the Ephesian church and the enemy of our church and the enemy of every church is the devil himself. Therefore, godly leaders must fight the good fight. Particularly so after having seen spectacular falls like Timothy has seen, like we have seen. Put on the armor of God. Pick up the sword of truth. Petition the God of angel armies and wage war on behalf of that congregation, Timothy, if you would lead in the household of God. That's what leadership in the church requires. But the godly leader, as he wages war for the church, must also wage war for his own soul, which is what we find in this fourth command. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now this is a challenging command, if I'm being honest, if we're thinking about this theologically. Paul's telling Timothy, take hold of the eternal life. Well, how do we get eternal life? Not a trick question. How do we get eternal life? Is it by reaching out and grabbing on and effort? Well, Marianne, you have the manuscript in front of you, but... If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, written by the same Apostle Paul, in fact, to the same church in Ephesus, he says in verses 8 to 9 of Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So here we're holding that intention. Salvation is a gift. It's not your work. It wasn't your effort. It's not your ability to take hold. You're saved by grace through faith. And yet, Paul says, Timothy, take hold, brother. Take hold of the eternal life. You, you lean in and you grab onto this for all your might, brother. How? And this isn't novel to Paul's theology. He says the same, the same thing about himself in Philippians chapter 3. He writes, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. And there's that tension again. Jesus made me His own. I didn't do that. This is something that Jesus did. I'm the passive agent. Jesus acted upon me. He made me His own. Nevertheless, I am pressing on I'm pressing on to grow in my holiness. I'm pressing on to lay hold of that which He has for me. To be a Christian is to hold that tension. To see and behold what Christ has done and then to respond and to lean in with all of your might. That's why every letter that the Apostle Paul writes, the first half is about the doctrine of what God has done in Christ to save us. Change can't happen until you see that. If you only had this piece, if you only thought that salvation came about from your effort and change came about from your effort, you'd be as exhausted as everyone else in our culture. You'd be buying all the best self-help books and self-loathing yourself for eating that bag of chips last night, right? But the Apostle Paul says that's not how change happens. Change happens when God, in His grace and mercy, does a miracle and brings a dead person to life. And you were that dead person. And so was I. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but we're justified by His grace as a gift. So Paul says, you see that? But he doesn't stop there, ever. He always goes on to then say, now therefore, walk in a manner worthy. That's what he said to the Ephesians. And he says to Timothy, therefore, fight the good fight. Grab hold of eternal life, Timothy. There's a congregation counting on you to lean in. 
You're not going to sleep. Slipe. That's not a word. You're not going to sleepwalk your way to being a good spiritual leader in the church. You're not going to sleepwalk your way to being a Christian who's growing in Christlikeness. P.S. Too many of us are trying to sleepwalk our way into growing in holiness. Paul says, no, no. As for you, O man of God, wake up. Lean in. Take hold. Is there a habit that's holding you back? By the grace of God, break it. Are you lacking discipline? By the grace of God, grow in it. If you would be a leader, then you must be learning. Be growing. Be fighting. Be taking hold, Timothy. That's what he says. And finally, Paul gives one last command. He says, steward the message that you've received. Look with me at verses 13 to 14. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Let's pause. This is solemn language. He did this previously, if you remember when we talked about accountability in the church. Remember when Paul was warning Timothy about showing partiality to some leaders? And, it, and we've saw, man, that's the horror of what's happened in church history. When we take certain church leaders and we say, well, I'm not going to deal with you fairly because of who you are. When Paul gave Timothy a warning about them, he, he leaned in and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels that you show no partiality to those men. He uses the same language here. So we should feel the weightiness. Paul doesn't always speak this way, but here he is again. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a weighty, heavy, serious charge. What is he telling Timothy to do? He's saying, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, you have received something, Timothy. Something infinitely valuable. And your job is to now pass that on. But you are to pass it on unstained and free from reproach. What is it that Timothy's received? The commandment includes everything in this letter and the entirety of the Gospel that Paul has passed on to Timothy. I would argue this because just a few verses later at the conclusion of the letter... As Paul sums it all up, he says in verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So if you can imagine if you remember back when you were in public school and we did the relay races and you had that little baton. It's as if Paul is running the relay race and he's, he's saying, Timothy, I just handed you the baton. Right? It's now in your hand and I charge you to take that baton and you pass that on to the next generation. And as you pass it on, he gives two qualifiers. You pass it on unstained. Timothy, trusted as he was. Timothy was a godly man. He was a, a respect. Paul had a lot of respect for Timothy. As respected as Timothy was, he had no authority to change the message. None. No authority to stand up and say, now God says this, but that doesn't apply here. And look at this embarrassing verse. Oh, look, talk about outdated. Let me get out my editing pencil. No, Paul says, no, no, a thousand times no. Too many Christian leaders have given themselves editing permission and they've stained the gospel as a result. When we distort the gospel to conform to our preferences or perhaps the preferences of our congregation, we're stepping outside of our authority. We have no authority to do so. If you would lead in the household of God, then you must see yourself as a steward, not a king. 
This is the king's message, not yours. These are the king's people, not yours. This is the king's church, not yours. The king has given them a message. Your job, Timothy, your job, any leader in any church, is to pass it on unstained. And your job is to keep it free from reproach. Which is where we witness so much failure in our day. So imagine your waiter comes to you. You've ordered this extravagant meal. Your waiter comes to you. You can smell the meal. This is the meal that you ordered. You're excited. You look at it. It's beautiful. There's a challenge though because the waiter who's carrying it is covered in filth. And they reek of things that are unmentionable. And and as they come to you and you see them bringing this meal, you start to wonder, is this meal safe to eat? Where... What were the conditions in the place where this meal was prepared? And now you've got this meal in front of you. It's exactly what you ordered. The meal is there. But the the servers got you a little bit concerned about whether or not this is something that you need. So it is with the message of the gospel. We've got this glorious gospel message. And none of us is a perfect waiter, to be clear. All of us, we've got something on our chin and we're untucked. None of us is perfect. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But sometimes we are so covered in our sin and hypocrisy and wickedness that though we carry around this beautiful gospel, nobody is interested because we have so blemished it with our conduct. We're seeing that in our culture today. Timothy was seeing that in Ephesus. And Timothy is to live his life in such a way that it will commend the message that he's preaching. If you say one thing Sunday but live another life Monday to Saturday, then you've added reproach to the message, which is what Paul is talking about here. This is why Paul warned, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Because the messenger matters, church. Too many leaders have opted not to keep a close watch on their lives. They've permanently wounded their hearers. But not so with you, Timothy. Guard the deposit that you've received. Keep it unstained. Keep it free from reproach. Watch your doctrine. Watch your life. Watch yourself. Watch this message. Steward it with faithfulness because the King is returning soon. That's where Paul brings this to a close. That's where we bring this to a close. The king is returning soon. Look again to verses 13 to 16. Hear the weightiness again that Paul is is laying on this command. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Paul says to Timothy, here's the message. Here's your responsibility. And as I hand this to you, you need to remember that Jesus is watching you carry this baton and He's coming soon, Timothy. Oh, the church would be in such a a better place if we had more leaders in positions in our churches who understood that the King whose message we herald is coming back. And we will answer to Him. The King of kings and Lord of lords is coming back. He who alone has immortality. He's coming. 
He who dwells in unapproachable light, a light that will expose all of the things that have been done in the darkness, is coming back. The one who's so glorious that you couldn't even behold Him without dying. He's coming back. The only sovereign. The only King. Right? You're not the King. The only King who is worthy of all honor and eternal eternal dominion is coming to reclaim His bride, which is the church. He who gave of Himself completely in love to redeem His church, His people, His beloved from death, from hell. He who bled, He who died, He who rose, He who reigns is coming again. Behold your God, Timothy, and live accordingly. Behold your God, church, and select your leaders accordingly. No more self-proclaimed kings. No more self-appointed editors. No more self-gratifying predators. No more self-absorbed celebrities. What the church needs today is what the church needed in Ephesus 2,000 years ago and what the church will need until Christ returns. The church needs leaders who will flee from sin and who will pursue the right things and who will fight the good fight, the right fight, and who will take hold of the everlasting life and who will steward the message that they have received free from blemish and reproach. What the church needs is leaders who tremble before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and who lead with a constant awareness of the reality that He is going to return for His bride. Leaders who understand that they are stewards, not kings. And as we conclude, I want to be clear. I recognize that I am a fallen leader who falls short every day. And so is every one of our elders. And to that end, let's pray. Lord Jesus, just a tremendous privilege and honor to address you. And I know that I can address you today in faith. I know I can address you today in confidence. In fact, I can come right to the throne of my Heavenly Father in confidence because you have bled and died to wash away the sins of your people. And I am a sinner. And I am a sinner who is in need of grace and I thank you for it. Lord Jesus, we just want to acknowledge that the church globally is yours. And we want to acknowledge that this church here specifically, here at Redeemer, is yours. It's yours. And I confess that I found myself trembling in fear, wondering who will protect and preserve this church when so many churches are falling and crumbling and so many leaders who never set out to be wicked predators, so many leaders have fallen away. And I found myself wondering, how will you preserve the church here? And yet, what I needed was just to see you again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You will protect this church as we recognize that this is your church So protect us from all of the subtle temptations that come, the cult of personality that forms. Lord, protect us from that. The lack of accountability, protect us from that. The subtle twisting of Scripture to accommodate to the preferences of your people, protect us from that. Lord, protect us from pride in in the congregation and particularly in the leaders. Protect us from arrogance. Protect us from 
harboring hidden sins. God, I just ask for your help. And I ask for your help because our ultimate desire, we live to bring you glory. This church exists to bring you glory. Lord, so help us to do that, I pray. In the way that we lead, in the way that we follow, in the way that we conduct ourselves as the household of God, I pray that, Lord, we would bring you great glory in this city. Great glory in the, in the eyes of our little ones who watch us as we conduct ourselves. Lord, we can only do this with your help, so we're asking for it. God, I thank you for positioning us here in this text, in this time. And Lord, I pray that the truths that we're learning from your word are not truths that we would just hear and forget. I pray with with James that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, so help, lead, direct, protect, preserve. Lord, I I give you thanks for your goodness and your kindness to us. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?